Hey, what are you reading? I'm checking real estate websites for houses for sale. Wow, you're buying a house? That's great. Yeah, because my landlord has been very difficult to deal with. I want to do this modification in the house I'm renting, but he won't allow it. Ooh, what were you planning to do? It's very simple, actually. I just want to bore a hole at the back of my closet. Hmm? Why would you want to do that? Because I want to escape this world, and that hole might lead me to Narnia. Welcome to another exciting episode of Banana Q Podcast. My name is Ray, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, D. Our topic for today is residential properties. What it takes to search and pay for your dream house. <laughs> wow, of course. Of course, right? So maybe we cover three distinct topics. First, why is there a need for us to buy or rent a house? And then second, we compare and contrast you know, should we buy or should we just keep on renting a house? And then lastly, we talk about recent trends in the housing market as well. Residential properties come in different shapes and forms, right? It's either the traditional landed house with a backyard, a front yard, or it could be a small apartment in the city, or it could be recently, which we've seen kind of a lot of sprouting in the Philippines as well, is condominiums high-rise tower mm. condominiums i often get to see messages from salesmen on my whatsapp sir are you looking for a condominium in makati in manila you have all these popular uh, residential uh, developers uh, mm. for sure you've seen those as well right yeah i mean because um, real estate is one of the known investment Mm. opportunities for OFWs, right? That is right. why they target us, yeah. They do target us, but we're, we're not going to deep dive into the investment aspect of houses. Mm -mm. We're talking about us looking for a place for us to live in because we yes. do need a place to stay, right? Mm. Choosing for a residential property sometimes is a decision. So the question really that we will tackle is, should you buy or should you continue to rent? And buying a house or house in general is one of the major purchases in our lifetime, right? I think it's yes. number one in almost everybody, followed by maybe education. Next would be a car, if, if you really fancy that. What else would be major? Nothing else, right? I think house by far is yes. the most major because it takes a long commitment to actually own a property. Like a mortgage, a typical mortgage would take 30 years. You pay every month for 30 years. So it, it does represent a significant dent in your financial capability. And according to one article that we saw, Philippines, when it comes to affordability of houses, we rank number ninth all over the world when it comes Whoa. to least affordable. Like, how did they measure this? And they've kind of compared the prices of properties versus the income of the person buying a property. So for the Philippines, oh. it would seem like property prices are so expensive in relation to how much an average Filipino earns uh, in his employment. If you just compare the price of a house in the Philippines versus a house in Tokyo, Japan, or even in Hong Kong, right? Mm. it's obviously very cheap, but yeah. 
Well, because they are comparing to the salary of an average Filipino, yes. which, well, there are a lot of poor Filipinos, right? P- Filipinos below the poverty line, and that's why it's good, the numbers. Yes, that's right, that's right. And there are a lot of investors, right? There are a lot of OFWs. Well, aside from OFWs, there are a lot of foreign rich investors who keep buying these properties in the Philippines, and so prices keep on rising. But our salaries are not increasing in a similar pace. And so kind of that stretched out the affordability. And so a typical Filipino would find it hard to actually live in his dream house because it's just ridiculously expensive sometimes to kind of buy a property. One item that we kind of want to compare as well, uh, Philippines and say Singapore, is the rate of savings. So aside from lower salaries in the Philippines, we also save money for the future quite less compared to say singapore so cpf or the the equivalent of social security system in the philippines uh, cpf in singapore uh, dictates that the employer would pay 17 percent of your annual salary right to them and then the employee also partakes 20 percent. so in total 37 percent equivalent of your salary is actually saved for the future Right? Yeah, that's a lot. Mm. In the Philippines, how much is it for SSS? I don't remember. <laughs> so for SSS, the employer pays 8.5%. Okay. And the employee pays 45 So in total, 13%. Oh, gosh, so, so 13 mm. compared to 37%. That's a huge disparity. Okay, mm. got it. When it comes to Singaporeans, they probably have a lot more ability to purchase a property in the future because they would have saved their nest egg is quite uh, substantial compared to the Philippines, right? And then yes. people would argue, but we have pag-ibig. We have love, D. <laughs> so yes. pag-ibig so is how this... much? how much does pag-ibig <laughs> or how much does love take? For, for those who are confused right now, pag-ibig is this housing loan program in the Philippines wherein you get to contribute and then you get to loan in the future. And pag-ibig, the employer pays 2%. And you pay 2% as well. So that adds 4% oh, to the 13%. Still, still not enough. It's still very low. And also to add more to your explanation, Pag-ibig also translates to love. So <laughs> I don't know why that is the name of, of Pag-ibig uh, housing in the Philippines. But yeah, that is why that was our joke. Aside from that, the Singapore government kind of protects the citizens in a way. Like mm. they do have the Housing Development Board or the yes. HDB, which are cheaper property. But these are usually um, apartment buildings because there's not really a lot of land in mm. Singapore, right? But at least they give the opportunity to the average citizens to be able to buy this property mm. using their CPF. You join and then if you get one, like for this new building being put up, then you get a chance to own a property in that building. But usually mm. it takes like maybe three years or something. But at least you do get a chance to have affordable property, yes. right? I don't think we have something like that in the Philippines for mm. the average mama mayan or you know masa, <laughs> no, right? We we don't have such. Like whenever we think about government housing in the Philippines, it's usually kind of not the pretty picture, not the HDB style that you would think of mm. in Singapore. Still on the subject of Singapore, right? The HDB actually pulls down the prices because condominiums they couldn't just demand a higher price because people would just flock into hdbs right so it kind of like ah, that makes sense, gives yeah. an anchor to the price hey you can't 
price as as high as you can because there's always an alternative. And aside from that, the foreign investors as well, right? Uh, you protect mm. the people against them as well. Because That's in the right. Philippines, like who is to protect? Like for example, Juan cannot afford a property, but there, here here comes some rich. Angmo, okay, not Angmo is a Singaporean <laughs> term. Which <laughs> means white guy. But yeah, why, uh, you know, a foreigner has more mm. money than he could just buy the property and he could, as you said, command a higher price, right? Mm. And yeah, and that puts the citizen, you know, on a. At a disadvantage, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. In Singapore as well, the government kind of has a lot of control aside from anchoring the price. Mm. They also try to get a good mix of cultures in a location oh so yeah you don't get one location too gentrified and so the prices go extremely high whereas the the other properties are like so low because it's maybe a high mix of a certain race so they try to balance that as much as possible as well even renting right they mm. also apply that to the renters yeah so that is why there is no area like in other countries like i remember in australia my friends were mentioning oh this area the properties are less expensive because a specific race lives a lot more of them live there mm. and that that contributes to the pricing difference yes. as well so the government tries to avoid that and so they they try to control whereas in the philippines our government doesn't have that much control so you yeah, could true. really see one side is like slum and then just one wall separates and then there's like this mega urban area. So yeah, there is mm. kind of a big disparity sometimes you will see. Yeah. So now let's imagine that we've already kind of found the ideal dream house. It's close to the office, close to the school. We don't have to commute uh, as long. Now the decision becomes, do we buy that property or do we rent? What are the pros and cons D, of buying yeah, or so renting? We should start off with that. We have found this article on time.com, mm. which talks about the pros and cons of buying a home. Mm. And the first pro is you can build wealth through home equity. So this is the pro if you buy a house. Mm. So equity is the difference between the fair market value of your property and the amount you owe your lender. So building a home equity is important because you get to pocket the value of your equity when you sell your home. You can also tap into your equity via cash-out refinance or loans. Mm. This allows you to borrow money for things like home improvements, a new business, or college tuition. And a new study shows that more homes are flush with equity than ever before, and that's good news for homeowners. And mm. it's uh, another good reason to become one. Well, that's built on the premise that housing properties continue to rise in the future, right? Oh, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Because <laughs> the thing is, you keep on paying, you keep on paying. So that means you're paying back the loan that you got from the bank, right? But that loan is based on a certain price. Now, what if mm. the price of your property goes down? Then it could be you're paying yeah. the bank for nothing, right? Because the value of your <laughs> house is actually going down. So fingers crossed, the, the pricing of, of houses <laughs> don't go as bad as 2008. And so that yes. is actually a really good 
pro for buying a house. And also, um, I just remembered something. A friend of mine, they want to buy a house um, mm. in Australia, but you know their dream house is so expensive, so they probably wouldn't be able to get a loan for that much. Mm-hmm. Now they're considering like buying a property that is lower in value for mm. now, right? Mm. And then you know just to increase their equity because in the future they would be able to use that as leverage to be able to borrow more, right? Mm. If they want to buy the real dream house. So yeah, yeah, that's where equity comes into the picture as a pro. That's a pro. Yes, indeed. Another pro is mortgage interest rates. So interest rates that you pay to the bank in repaying your loan, right, are comparatively low right now. And it is, in Japan, it's still really, really low. Like, Less than 1% sometimes. Wow. That's how ridiculously low the interest rates here are. Meaning that in certain cases, monthly mortgage payments may cost the same, if not lower, than the rent that you actually pay to the landlord. Yeah, and that's really good. Um, I have a friend, uh, a different friend in Australia still. When they bought their house, they actually loaned lower than what they could have loaned. In like, for example, they really given their credit score or whatever mm. they they could have loaned two million but they didn't go for that because you know that is too expensive they went for like break even as to what they were previously renting as mm. to what their mortgage would be monthly because you know it in a way it feels like they haven't really lost anything right they're just paying the exact same rent that they had mm. and at least this time they would be getting it back in asset form and it's not an expense that's right. right. Like it's they're building equity. So I guess that does make sense in terms of mortgage rates. Mm. That's a good point that you mentioned about credit score is because whenever you want to borrow money from a bank, they would scrutinize your life, right? They would ask you, okay, where do you work? How much do you earn? They, they try to make sure that you're able to repay whatever it is that you're borrowing, right? And it affects mm. kind of how much you can actually borrow and for what interest rates you can get that loan for. Mm. So the lower your income income and earning capacity, they would charge you higher because you're because a you're risk. risk. Yeah, you're a ah, risky okay. borrower, right? So it, it all right. depends on really your ability to pay back. And that is mm. why the example that you've mentioned that your friend actually went for a more affordable house now just to build their score as well because once the bank Mm. sees that oh this guy has a loan and has been religiously paying Mm. in the future that adds to your credibility as a borrower oh yeah that Mm. makes sense okay Mm. so the next pro that we have for buying a house is freedom to renovate and modify your house as you see fit for me i've been renting forever and i've had always when i move somewhere I love to look at Pinterest boards for mm. inspiration, right? On you know, how would you arrange the house? You know, um, how would I Marie Kondo it or whatever anyway? And of course, there are limitations. Like there are things that, you know, you need to be able to drill or you need to be able to build something. Mm. And then, you know, obviously I can't do that. So I have mm. to make do with what I can get away with. That mm. if I leave, I'm not going to leave a damage in the house basically yes. so if you do own the house you can do whatever the hell you want right yes. like oh yeah maybe it's a good time to mention that actually ray is a new homeowner and mm. that is why <laughs> we thought of this as a topic and maybe you can tell us um you know what have you been building ray because i think mm. your wife has shown us a video yeah that is a good point like 
when we were renting as well, it's the same kind of dilemma, right? We don't want to pay uh, exorbitant <laughs> kind of exit fees, uh, repair fees, and so we can't actually touch anything in the house. And if you're if you like DIY, like if you, if you like drilling holes, if you like building furniture, <laughs> then yes, definitely that's a pro for homeowner. And as as you've mentioned, we recently purchased a house here in in Japan, and it does have that freedom that ability to build your own space and recently we've been kind of creating uh, i don't know how to call it but there's a space where we call a a library wherein we can chill out just Mm. lounge and then kind of like built a custom wall where we can hang art uh, pictures and all that and and if you're just renting that's a no-no right you can't Mm. you can drill you can put on nails anything that would poke a hole in the wall <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> is, definitely, is not. definitely not allowed but now yeah we can do that well in japan particularly it comes at a cost as well because there's a lot of earthquake um, in japan oh, yeah. so <laughs> if you really want to drill something or you want to hang something on the wall you need to be very sure that it's mm. sturdy that it's stable otherwise it's just gonna fall off once an earthquake comes Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. So you have to make sure that it's not really very big as well, right? Like, mm. you, you cannot hang, like, a gigantic painting of you <laughs> or mm. something. <laughs> it might fall and it will break and it's glass. So Ooh, that's not a good yeah, idea. A no-no. Right? Any heavy items, it's not recommended to hang it here. Even if you just purchase a tall, say, bookshelf, right? They do require you to make it seismic protection, they call like make Ooh. it stable enough if in case there's an earthquake it doesn't fall off and it doesn't become a risk to your life, right? Because imagine there's a very yeah. heavy bookshelf with a lot of, I don't know, what's heavy? Encyclopedia. <laughs> and then that falls <laughs> off and then you're lounging there. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a risk. Oh, no. Yeah. And then speaking of interest rates, so there are two types, right? You, you can either select to pay a fixed mortgage rate or you go for variable. So obviously, if you're concerned about interest rates going higher in the future, that you would want to lock in your rates right now. And you pay mm. that interest rate for the duration of your mortgage, which is typically 30 years, right? Mm. And the other one is variable, wherein depending on market situation, the interest rate that you pay actually changes with the market as well. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but you will have to pay whatever is that market rate now for us mm. we don't want to hassle of thinking about variability especially with the language right whenever we want to change <laughs> <laughs> we need to go to the banks speak japanese which we can't do right now effectively so it's quite troublesome so we elected fixed mortgage rates and it's quite conservative right like um, if in case it does go high in the future we, we don't have to worry about it because we're paying a fixed interest rate. And I've yeah. mentioned that interest rates are ridiculously low right now. So it is kind of a good time to lock that rate in. Yeah, so I guess we should have mentioned that I think that this is the pro here mm. is that uh, you, you, know, you could keep your expense fixed, yeah. basically. So there are no surprises, right? If you elect for the fixed mortgage, mm. I guess, unlike for rent, that, you know, it's arbitrary depending on the market rates and, you know, depending on your landlord. Mm. Like, for example, 
because of the pandemic the past two years, right? In Singapore, it used to be that rent was going down. Remember mm. when we were there? The rent yeah. was trending downwards because a lot of foreigners were getting kicked out of Singapore. Mm. Uh, and so because of that, the rent was going lower. But then during pandemic, they locked down the country and there were a lot of Malaysians apparently who used to just live in Malaysia and just commute to Singapore. Mm. But then they couldn't do that anymore. So they had to start renting, right? So that drove the prices of rent up. And what happened to one of my friends was her landlord sold the condo that she was renting and mm. then she needed to look for another condo. But it's in the same building. Mm. But then the one that they found, which was like similar in size and all that, is 56% higher, which is crazy, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what wow. happened? Well, yeah, that, that is terrible. That is terrible. And mm. you don't want that to happen, right? Especially if your life depends on that property. Perhaps, you know, your, your children goes to school nearby and so you really mm. want to stay there. And then how can you justify a 56% increase in rent yeah. all of a sudden, right? So I can imagine if you really can't afford, then that would force you to look for a place elsewhere. And if the yes. trend is going high, then you could be looking for properties further and further and further away from where mm, you are right exactly. now. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So that really does uh, squeeze you. So mm. that's why it is a pro if you buy your property. Mm. And, you know, especially I think you mentioned also like if you're planning to read in the future and it would probably be good if you own your property right because mm. as you age your income earning capacity also goes down mm. uh, as you age perhaps you know you're you're most more susceptible to illness then there's a risk of you actually your income goes down and so mm. you can't afford to actually have an increasing rent otherwise how will you be able to pay for that increase mm. right so you always worry okay my my salary next year probably is lower because you know i'm taking on less roles because i'm now 65 years old so you're in <laughs> retirement age but then you're landed hey pay me 56 percent more uh, yeah and what if you're actually retired and you have no source of income right mm. like you've saved money and mm. it's in your retirement plan already yeah. Yeah. so it's a fixed income you yeah. know like if you're getting it from SSS or mm. whatever it's the same amount every month so then if the lender increases by 56% where are you going to get that extra right, right? you're not getting raises anymore what, what is the cycle in Hong Kong is it every two years you kind of renew your contract yeah, it's every two years. Although the option really is you sign mm. for a new property and the tenancy agreement is for two years, but you can cut after one year. Okay, and you don't have to pay any fees if in case that happens. Yeah, if it's after yeah. one year, you just need to inform the landlord one month ahead of time. Okay. In the Philippines, actually, I don't really remember what the rules were. I don't think I was ever a main tenant in the Philippines. <laughs> Were you? So, uh, no. so what did the tenancy agreement even look like? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't remember as well. I've only lived there a year. And you're right. I was <laughs> yeah. a main tenant as well. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember. I, I guess there would be an increase as well. But I don't remember how often it was. Or were, you know, was there a lock-in period or something? Mm. We don't know. But in Singapore, it's similar to Hong Kong, I guess. It, it depends. I think the minimum is one year. Mm -hmm. Right? But then, you know, it's up to you. Of course, back then when we were renting, because the rents were going down, it was good for the, the renter to do not 
yeah, shorter term, right? Don't lock yourself up two years, which is which proved good for us when we rented because it went down every year. We were mm. able to negotiate every year to go down. But if you think that you know it's gonna go high nowadays, probably in Singapore, it would be good for them to lock in for mm. two years. Okay, so now let's talk about the cons of buying a house. Now, obviously, buying a house, as we mentioned earlier, is usually the dream of most people. So it should all be pros. Wrong. <laughs> there are, of course, also cons. And one of them is less flexibility to move or travel frequently. Mm. Now, the biggest draw of renting over buying is the lack of commitment. You can move whenever you want. For example, if you switch jobs and the location is far, you can just decide to move to a closer location instead of being stuck with a longer commute, mm. right? Like in the Philippine setting, if you used to live in Makati, you used to work on Makati that made sense. It's a 30 minutes ride in mm. a jeepney or something. But then you have a new job that is in Alabang. How long is that going to take? What, three hours or something? I don't know. I'm not familiar, but probably something like that. So maybe, you know, it would make sense if you just moved to Alabang instead. But mm. if you owned your house in Makati, then that is probably something you would consider, right? Maybe you have a great job opportunity in Alabang, but you would consider, hmm, maybe not because you're thinking three hours mm. one way every day. So that's six hours of commute every day. Mm. That's ridiculous. So, you know, you would probably turn down the dream job just because of that, right? So that is a con. So if you're planning to buy, ask yourself, how long are you planning to stay? Hmm. Buying a home is usually only a good idea if you're planning to stay put for at least three years, according to the Time article that we got this list from, with the value of homes only increasing by 4 to 7.5% per year. You could pay more in closing costs than you'd earn in proceeds if you sell after only a year or two. Mm. Also, you could owe capital gains tax if you sell a home you've owned for less than two years. So yeah, that's something that you should think about, you know, before yeah. you buy a house. Especially for Filipinos, right? Like we're, we're kind of nomads. We want to be as flexible as we want because we, mm. we don't know where our next job will be. E mm. even if it's you know maybe it's not even in the philippines like yes exactly we, there are so many fws yeah yeah and if you have a house in in the philippines it would take you a lot of time and money and effort to actually let go of that property right? yes, you have to for pay sure. for brokers you have to wait what if your employer wants you to fly to Hong Kong next month, but you will say, no, mm. I still need to sell my property. Well, <laughs> unless you have a family close by mm. that can manage your property, right? Mm. But what if you also yeah. want that equity to be turned into cash so that you can mm. also afford maybe pay two months deposit, two months advance in your next location. Yeah. So sometimes cash is also king. So yeah, it, it does tie you down if you actually buy a property buy a house and you're not sure yet that you will be staying there indefinitely or permanently yes and another negative of actually looking or buying a property is the price like you need to offer a price so this is the u.s standard right it it's not like the sticker price of your house is one million then you pay one million that's yours you actually need to make an offer and mm -hmm. then the seller would take a look at all the offers and then who mm. you know whichever offer that seller likes then 
that that would win. So it depends on the market. If the market is so buyer heavy, there's a lot of buyers, especially if it's a very nice property, then mm. you might end up paying significantly more than the sticker price of the house. True, true. Because you need to outbid other buyers as well. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, right? Like in our example, if you are an average one and then there is actually a rich foreigner who has more money than you so if this property is 1 million but they really want it they will offer 1.2 just so they will be sure that they will be chosen right yes and there's nothing you can do about that yes because of course the buyer is gonna choose that Mm. right they're in it for the money after all Mm. and that means it's a waste of investment right so time you've already looked and searched you viewed the house you've scheduled an appointment with the broker so you've spent a lot of time and at the same time, emotional investment. You oh, walk yeah. around, oh, I love this place. Ooh, you already, already imagined the yes. future. <laughs> oh, you already bought proper uh, furniture that would fit yes. into the sala. Oh, the sala is perfect. You immediately went into, say, Ikea or wherever furniture. You already ordered online and all of a sudden you're off. Why would you do that outlet. if you haven't even got <laughs> No, because... You, You're invested emotionally, right? You already imagined. Mm. Another con is you need to manage and pay for home expenses like repairs, maintenance, property taxes, homeowners association fees, private mortgage insurance, Mm. and homeowners insurance. So these are a lot of expenses. Mm. And when you rent, this is paid by the landlord. Yes, that's and, right. And actually, I frequent a lot of personal finance-related subreddits or forums on the internet, right? And they usually, when they talk about having to dip into their emergency fund for a huge amount, it's usually related to home repairs. Mm. I just realized there's actually one example in real life for this. My brother, at one point, was low on cash flow because he had to replace his broken air conditioners. I think it was like... 6,000 US dollars or something, mm. which is a huge amount of money to suddenly have to let go at one time, right? But me, if something breaks in my apartment, like last time my to- toilet bowl leaked and it had to be replaced, I just called my landlord and he was the one who bought a replacement and called the handyman to install it. Mm. Yeah, especially if you're not a handyman, right? You mm. depend on you know, skilled repairmen to do the job for you, then it becomes really Mm. expensive because you don't have the bargaining power to say, hey, can you do it for $20? No, (laughs) like, no, you can like, whatever it is, is the bill, you you have to pay for it. And so, yeah. I mean, you might be able to in the Philippines, but in Japan, when he doesn't speak English, like here, Mm. the handyman doesn't speak English. So actually, my landlord is the one who needs to speak to him. It's very annoying, actually, when mm. every time something breaks because we have to have a three-way call mm. or something, you know, <laughs> because I don't know what to mm. say to him. Yeah, especially if it's a landed property, right? Because you, you have to look after the entire house. All of a sudden, there's a leak on the roof. There's water dripping. Mm. Then you have to repair that. Whereas if you're in a condominium, you usually would pay kind of a repair fund. If in case there's something major that happens, then the management company or management team would dip into that fund to repair the building, mm. right? Yeah, so that is why th- that's where the home association fees mm. come in, I suppose, yeah. And, and the last con for buying a property is actually, we alluded to this already, it is expensive, right? So aside from mm. the, the fees, the insurance that you need to pay, 
upfront you need to pay a lot of cash as well. Like you need to pay mm-hmm. down payment, especially if your earning capacity is not that attractive to banks. Sometimes they would command you pay upfront twenty percent of the property value, and that's a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. who has twenty percent of, say, million. one million dollars? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sit lying around. Oh, yeah, it no. it it does get. Maybe you you can ask around, ask loan from your family, your your. <laughs> Parents, but if you don't have that luxury, then you'll have to source all the cash yourself. So it, it does yeah. become restrictively expensive sometimes if you need to pay a lot of money upfront, a lot of down payments. And aside from down payments as well, you need to pay the broker, you need to pay a lot of people <laughs> in the <laughs> transaction. And it doesn't add value to the property, right? Because it's all expenses. Mm. So oh, you, no. that's something that you need to consider as well. But then also, I think I read somewhere that you know the higher down payment you give upfront, in essence, you, you get a lower interest rate, right? Because the eighty percent is lower than the hundred percent. Mm. If you need to pay a percentage on the loan, right? Mm. So it's so, actually better to have an upfront lump sum. That's right. So some banks would actually lower your interest rate if they feel. The confidence in you increases, right? So if you if you mm. elect to pay a lot of down payment, that removes mm. a lot of risk from them that you won't pay it. back because you're already kind of invested twenty percent into the property. Technically, you're ah. already a twenty percent owner of the property, right? If you compare that, if you don't want to pay down payment, then the bank actually owns a hundred percent of the oh, property. Yeah. <laughs> So what if on, on, on the first month you already keep drilling on the walls and then you inadvertently poked one of the water pipes and it kind of... Oh, God. It destroyed. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Banking oh, is also shoot. a business, so they, they, mm. they put that into consideration. Yeah, mm. home ownership is definitely expensive. That's why before you, you buy, the first question is, do you actually have enough cash to put down the down <laughs> yes. payment right that's the first mm. question i would think yeah and that yes. is probably one of the reasons why a lot of people especially the millennials they're saying mm. that can't afford homes mm. nowadays so like a lot of them are renting or staying with their parents or whatever yeah so those were the pros and cons and now we talk about what has changed recently what are the trends in the residential property markets and i think if you look back 10, 20 years ago, owning a property or buying a house is actually a very practical choice, right? You see stable Mm. uh, upside in prices and it's always kind of the goal, the dream. Your parents would always Mm. tell you, hey, save enough money for you to be able to afford a house in the future. But recently, that's no longer the case, right? So we ask ourselves, what has changed? And I think the first part, I think the landscape for home affordability has changed in contrast to people's income because of the pandemic actually people are now staying longer in the house that they are in and so the demand for houses actually increased a lot so the property values keep on rising and then you you double triple check can i really afford this property at this price <laughs> with rising prices in oil in in you know or mm. everyday needs do i have enough money if i buy this property do i have enough money to buy eggs Rice, <laughs> Lucky Me Pancit Canton, Perla, Papaya. Okay. 
Maybe not. Maybe not <laughs> okay. anymore. So, Maybe not. Mm, yeah, okay. We usually put that in a back burner. While I was interviewing my friend Felicia for a different episode, we ended up discussing something relevant to this one. So I thought I'd insert it here. Thinking about it, my mother and father were able to, to get a house before I was born. I think it's just the times have changed in that easier back then to have a house. I think, I don't know, cheaper maybe. It just seems that right now in these times, Inflation is so high and even in a dual income household, it's hard to be able to come up with the money to build or get a loan to build a house. Mm. So, I think you have a good point. Yeah, that's actually true because, you know, the prices of houses went up like exponentially and it's not the same increase in salary, right? So yeah. <laughs> that is why a lot of people feel like they can't buy a house. So even in the Philippines, you feel a lot of our peers feel that way that, you know, they can't buy a house even if they can take, um, you know, take out a loan on pag-ibig or something, no? Yeah, it's hard because, you know, it also depends on the kind of accommodation you want. I think if your salary is the average working Filipino, and I'm talking like uh, maybe you're working in corporate, so I'm not sure that if that's average at all. Mm-hmm. But say you're working in corporate, I think that you could possibly get a house, but I don't know if you can buy something that is comparable to the houses we grew up in, in mm-hmm. Zamboanga. I see. Because, for example, I grew up in... Uh, kind of a mid-sized bungalow and then we had a big garden and I think that at the time it was compared to my friends to our friends Mm. it's not really very big in Zamboanga that kind of house but if you compare here to Metro Manila they call it a mansion (laughs) oh really? (laughs) (laughs) I remember telling my office mates a few years ago telling them I want to buy a lot at least 300 square meters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's normal, mm. right? It's just not that very big if you grew up in the province. Mm. And that's what, how we reacted. Mansion! Because for here in Metro Manila, what you usually expect to have is just a small piece of land, mm. maybe... I think 100 would already be sufficient mm. because they usually live in condos mm. or apartments, right? Row houses. So those kinds of accommodations. Mm. And so having 300 square meters a lot, I guess, is a mansion. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, but you're right. I think most people in Manila would probably just be able to afford a condo uh, and not have a house and lot because that's really expensive, Yes. In terms of yes. price. So, okay. Yes. Because you have to buy the lot. Then you have to build a house. Mm. So, it's a double expense. And uh, really hard to uh, get a loan from the bank for that. That's interesting to hear from that. Because as you said, you come from a dual income household. And your husband, I was going to say your father, no? Your husband... <laughs> Your husband is a doctor and and you are a manager in IT. So 
I would think you are not average. You're above no. average in the Philippines, right? Yeah. Yes. And yet you struggled yeah. to be able to buy a house and lot. And your house and lot is not even in, you know, the center. Impossible if we, we buy a house and lot in Metro Manila. That's not achievable for us. Mm. So, yeah, we bought in Laguna. It's around one hour away from Metro Manila. Mm-hmm. But it's in a good area. So, still, you know... That's not something we can get in Metro Manila. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's difficult. And another thing that changed is a lot of rich people or foreign investors buy a lot of property mm. to rent them out and they end up pricing up the real estate market. So there is like a lot of uh, competition out there, I would mm. say. So that means the corporations and a lot of these rich people, they're buying all these properties at higher prices. And then as a result, you can no longer bid for something that is in a, the thicker price. And this includes corporations and also people who, who Airbnb their property. Mm. And by the way, uh, interesting tidbit about Airbnb not only affects the prices of houses for sale, but also for rent. Mm. Uh, there is this article from Forbes.com wherein they mentioned the Airbnb effect. So this... Airbnb effect is to some extent remarkably similar to gentrification in that it slowly increases the value of an area to the detriment of the indigenous residents, many of whom are pushed out due to financial constraints. Studies on the Airbnb effect have found that over-tourism facilitated by platforms such as Airbnb negatively impacts on house prices and communities. The short-term rental sector is just as affected. Research conducted by the Harvard Business Review across the U.S. found that Airbnb is having a detrimental impact on housing stock as it encourages landlords to move their properties out from out of the long-term rental and for-sale markets and into the short-term rental market. Mm. That's definitely one of the things that changed, right? I would think. Yeah, it does because now people are renting it out and so prices are kind of like higher. And, mm. Mm, and yeah, because and, they would rather rent to Airbnb because they can rent it for higher, right? Mm. Like for one day, they can charge much more mm. than say like a for one month rent. And and these investors, they always want to ride on increased uh, market prices or increased rent in the future, right? So they don't want to lock in kind of a really long term renter, and that is mm. why so hard to look for a property to buy or a property to have a long-term rent because they just don't want long-term anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So that's sad if mm, you think and, about and it. Yeah, That's right. And lastly, I think preferences for work has drastically changed as well. Like if you compare the type of jobs that you've had versus mm. the ones your parents had, I think it would be very different, right? Uh, I think mm. our parents love to stay in one employer until retirement and mm, that's it yeah. there's a lot of stability whereas for us we love to job hop we, yeah. we like to have a variety of experience right and so buying mm. a property in that mentality would be a very difficult decision because you need to be in a specific location right and so mm. it's it's hard to do that well the problem is when you are approaching your retirement, as we've mentioned, and it becomes difficult mm. as well because yeah. maybe at that point in time, you don't have enough savings and buying a property becomes exponentially difficult. So I think mm. our parents before kind of enjoyed the long-term planning 
of yes. buying a property, mm. right? Because they've stayed in one employer, they've stayed in one specific location, and so they were able to commit earlier uh, at a lower price in, in purchasing that property. And also, I guess, because properties were less expensive in the uh, past sure. as well. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why it made sense because, you know, probably everyone was doing the same. Now, a lot of people are not. Mm. And we are usually affected by peer pressure, right? Mm. <laughs> what we see people around us are doing, mm. then we tend to do that as well. So to close this, let me go back to the time com article that we mentioned earlier and read their bottom line. Figuring out whether to buy or rent is a financial decision with many factors and long-term consequences. And right now, low mortgage rates, a competitive housing market, and the changing nature of work and location requirements all serve to complicate the decision further. Thinking through how long you plan to stay in your next place and what your savings and budget for unexpected expenses look like can help you figure out whether it makes sense to rent or buy your next home. Home ownership may be the classic American dream, and not just American dream, like it's also the Filipino dream, dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that it's the right decision for everybody at every moment. Whether you take the plunge on buying a home or continue to rent, Make sure you're picking the option that best serves your goals and financial situation. Yeah, so don't be peer pressured. No. And we want to ask our cuties, after hearing us, after listening to this episode, are you now planning to be a homeowner? Or will you continue to rent? At which stage in life are you at? Are you approaching retirement? And where are you based? Are you in the Philippines? Singapore? Hong Kong? Let us know. And be part of our next Cutie Minute. Time minute. for our followers. Cutie Minute. Your minute. thoughts in our voice. Cutie Minute. Not minute. really one minute, but we're calling it... Cutie Minute. For our Cutie Minute, we only have one cutie, and she commented on episode 93, Burnout. And this is September, and she said... Hello, D and Ray. The Burnout episode was such a great topic and conversation to have. It is rarely talked about, but it is so relevant these days. Like you said... We Filipinos are so prone to experiencing it without realizing it. Culturally, we equate hard, arduous work with effectiveness and productivity. It feels as though when we don't work 10 times more, guilt sets in and we feel responsible for anything that goes wrong. It really took me some time to realize that hard work isn't always good. When I started to get burnout from my previous work, I experienced a multitude of symptoms that was not only affecting me physically, but also emotionally and psychologically. I started to have anxiety, mood swings, GERD, losing sleep, sleeping a lot, and lack of energy and motivation. I realized that I was changing and losing my self-confidence. That's when I sought help and figured out that I was so burnt out that it negatively changed me. I consider my biggest accomplishment at work was when I left that job. (laughs) To recognize that it was a toxic environment was the best thing I did for myself. I learned to put boundaries at work and for myself. I go by my mantra, work smarter, not harder, by having clear strategies and efficiently using time to work for my advantage. I've also learned to be non-apologetic when taking time off. Alright, so that was actually a good Really good Comment yeah. from September, right? And she's right about that matter Work smarter, not harder 
wasn't it Bill Gates who also goes by this mantra or something to the effect he's saying that actually uh, the lazy man you shouldn't look down on him because a lazy man will find the easiest way to do something or the most efficient yeah. way to do something right like so I, I guess she's right that as Filipinos we do feel guilty if we feel like we are not holding in the time or we are being huantamad mm. because we are not working harder than others or something like that and that is why as a result we tend to burn out and I like that part where she said being non-apologetic when taking time off because it is our mm. basic right to have a paid leave and, mm, and, yeah. and, and for us sometimes even if we are on paid leave then our boss keeps messaging keeps calling yeah. asking about mm. work and like Come on, dude! I'm on vacation. Like, why are you stressing me out? And it's it's not just oh, it's only five minutes. No, but the problem with that is, once you have that conversation, five minute conversation, your whole day is already ruined, right? Because you keep thinking mm, about. I agree. Did they do it right? Or perhaps did they miss something? Did they? Mm. It just it just kills the mood. Yes, I agree. And not just on vacation, like even weekends sometimes. Oh like, no, that's you terrible. know you, yeah. somebody will message you, and then you would oh she's. I think this happened to me like a boss asked me on a Saturday and then I was like annoyed because I was out I wasn't at home and I said I'm sorry I'm not home but I still said let me get back to you let me check my laptop when I get mm. home you know so you, technically hey I can just say I'm sorry I'm not home like why do mm. I need to answer this question I'll answer you on Monday but you feel guilty you feel obligated to answer and if, if you are not careful and you know uh, I mean at least that happened just one time but if what if you're the kind of person who lets that happen all the time yeah, next thing you know you're burnt healthy. out yeah, so we need to learn from September and from Elsa let it go <laughs> let it go yes not hold it back anymore so that's it for this episode guys if you've enjoyed it please subscribe and give us 5 star rating on Spotify no 4 star 3 star 5 star minimum <laughs> rating on Spotify, <laughs> Apple, or Podchaser.com. Please also follow us on our social media accounts at Bananaki Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. That's it. Pansit. Thank you. And bye. bye.